the time that we're in. Thursday morning, when I woke up, it was as if somebody was standing by my bed and said, five yoke of oxen. And I, it was so clear, and I thought, five yoke of oxen, what, what, is, what is that? And I remember my grandfather talking about when he was a young man working with oxen. And I thought about five yoke of oxen. And then I just the day went on, and I just kind of disregarded it, didn't think about it anymore. Along towards evening, it came back to me, and again, the five yoke of oxen. So I thought, I wonder if that's in the Bible. So I looked it up on the internet, and it was in the Bible. And I'll read uh, what, it, what it has to say. This is from the 14th chapter of Luke. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and my, I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And I was thinking about it. It just stopped me cold. And then I, this picture came to me of this man mowing a lawn. And he was mowing his lawn, and the lawnmower had gotten so choked with grass that there was nothing going into the lawnmower, and there was nothing coming out. So he turned the lawnmower over on its back, and he took all that dry grass that was in there, and he took it out so the lawnmower would work, and he could finish the task that he set out to do. And I don't think that dry grass is people, but I think it's things that choke up our lives. And we've all been out proving our oxen and looking at our land and saying, well, now this is a time I'm going to be married. But this is, we need to discern the times we're living in. And the Lord wants us to be about his business. And I know I've been proven oxen. The Lord has spoken to me and I said, and I've disregarded it at times. But I, do, I think the times we're living in, we need to discern. And we can't disregard it anymore because there is a harvest. And he wants to use us. And he wants to get rid of all that stuff that's clogging us up. So he can use us. We were all the poor, we were all the crippled, we were all the blind, and we were all the lame. And the Lord called each one of us. He drew us in when we had nobody. When we were lame and we couldn't walk, he healed us. He touched our hearts. He drawed us to him. He said, you're my beloved. Think about the time when God touched your heart. Think about the time when he drew you to you, and he was so big, and he was so real, and his love was bigger than anything that we were encountering, our blindness, our lameness, all of that. Think of that time, and the Lord's drawing us back to that time. He called you, he called you, he called you his beloved, and he's still calling you his beloved. When he 
confirmed Jesus in the Jordan, he said, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Well, when he went out for 40 days into the wilderness to get tested, Satan came to him and he goes, if you're the son of God. Notice he left out beloved. Because if Jesus, if we remember we're his beloved, we remember his love that we're crowned with. Nothing will stand in our way. We're army, you guys. We're army. We're his beloved army, his beloved children. Remember that. Remember. Call to him. Have him stir you up again. Remember that beloved. You're beloved. He loves you. And it's never changed. It's never, never changed. Like Doug was saying, sometimes we get sidetracked or or plugged with the cares of the world. But they're just the cares of the world. He's so much bigger. Remember that place where he called us to. I wanted them to share that because what I'm going to be preaching on in a little bit is, is going to tie that together, what, the, what I feel like the Lord is saying to us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence. It's here today. We thank you that you're speaking, that you're drawing our hearts. Lord, that you are speaking that, that loving word to us. And Lord, whenever you speak that hard word, and even Jesus, how you gave that, 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 that parable, and it was kind of a hard word to those that you had invited to the banquet, and they were making all kinds of excuses. Lord, we want to be reminded of love again. We want to be reminded of why we are on the earth. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak, continue to speak today, touch our hearts. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. And Lord Jesus, we just look forward to what you will do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you take a few minutes? Uh, Children's Church kids will be with us. Everybody else can be dismissed. Kids ministry, why don't you take a few minutes to greet someone, welcome them this morning. Okay, if we could find our seats, that would be great. We're going to get started. Enough of the friendliness already. We've got to talk about mercy now. Let's pray and we'll get right into the word of God today. Jesus, thank you for your word.
Lord, that it's the, the, that the Bible says it's active, it's powerful, it's alive. And Lord, it is, uh, it is what we look to as our standard because, Lord Jesus, you are revealed because you said, I am the word, I'm the word made flesh. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us again today, that your, your word would go deep into our hearts to transform us, to become more like you. We come, Holy Spirit, and we pray for your power. We're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would come, and we want to fellowship with you, Holy Spirit. We want to walk with you. We want to be empowered by you to become more like Jesus, to hear what the Father is saying to us. So, Lord, we ask that you would come today, Lord, and touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Glad to be here. Farmers are glad for the rain. Amen. That's good stuff. I, you know, again, I know that I'm pastoring farmers when I'm praying for the weather all the time. So uh, I don't think I've thought about the weather this much in my life, but uh, thank God for the rain. We're going to continue today in our, in our series, uh, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached from Matthew chapters uh, 5 through 7. Um, we have been in this. We're going to be in it for quite a while. Um, I just want to encourage us, too, with the words that came forward, um, that we are... We're the church. We don't do church. Church is not something that we do. Church is who we are. It's our identity. Becoming the, the, the body of Christ to a lost and broken world. And then this teaching, it's interesting that this is the, the only full-length sermon that we have by Jesus. In this teaching, he is revealing and he's ushering in the kingdom of his Father upon the earth. And it's a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And, and, and he shows us that he comes in a different spirit to advance the kingdom. It's a new system. It's a new mindset, not of the earth. In here, we find the keys in Revelation to being a part of that kingdom, to become more and more like Jesus. Again, what you will see, and if you've been reading it, I hope you've been reading it. I hope you've been studying. I hope you've been looking over the Sermon on the Mount because what you're going to see is you're going to find Jesus in the midst of it because you're going to find his character and who he is. And so the greatest revelation that we get from Jesus is more than just principles or good, you know, good ways to live. It's, it's, you get a revelation of himself because ultimately he wants to live in and through us and that people see him in us. So we will, we will find him, we will find his life, we will find and follow him and where he is leading us. And we'll get a glimpse of his heart as well. But we've been in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Um, I, I had listed, uh, you know, kind of the pursuit of happiness because um, the word blessed are, the word blessed means blessed is happy, but it's not just talking about a temporary happiness um, it is talking about being eternally happy. I've, I've given this definition, but it's important to go over it again because when Jesus is giving us these attitudes to live by, he's saying, eternally happy are you if you live this way. Spiritually prosperous are you if you live this way. Filled with life, joy, satisfaction, God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward conditions. And that's important to know. Because it's a happiness, it's a joy, it's a peace, it's a contentment that's not based on our circumstances. You know, the world's definition is based on circumstances. Things are going good, I'm happy. Things are bad, I'm not happy. And Jesus said, you can find me in the midst even of tough times. Even when you find yourself in the middle of a storm, you can find him and find his peace. Not that it's easy, but you can find him. So these attitudes of what our attitudes should be. And so over the last few couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, the first four, Matthew 5, 3 through, six, 3 through 6. And it's interesting because I believe that these first few are a setup where Jesus is taking us into this entire sermon. Because the first two is about our relationship with him. You remember when the, when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, they're saying, tell us the greatest commandment. And he says, love God with everything that's within you. Heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting, the first couple of Beatitudes, Jesus is once again revealing this truth about our relationship with God. How are we doing with God? Where's our heart at with God? 
And so it's a setup to where we're going because if we don't get the relationship with God worked out, it's hard to minister to others. It's hard to be even in that eternally happy and, and, and prosperous, spiritually prosperous place. We have to get that worked out. And ultimately, he's inviting us to a relationship with himself. And he says, I want you to get that figured out first. And so the first one, he comes right out of it. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. His promise is, is, is this, I'm giving you the kingdom of heaven if you will be poor in spirit. It gets you the kingdom. So what does that mean? It simply means, and you heard me say it again, but I, I want to repeat this as we set up for today, but it's realizing our complete and total dependence upon God. Without him, we're nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. That we are spiritually empty and bankrupt without him. We can't be nice enough, good enough in our own efforts to receive his kingdom. He said, when you, when you figure that out, when you come to that realization, when you get that revelation in your mind and your heart, you get the kingdom. Isn't that a cool promise? Blessed are the poor in, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get the kingdom of heaven when you realize that without him you're nothing. Then he says this, the second one, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The promise there is, is we will receive his comfort when we operate in an attitude of repentance. It's being mournful of our sins. It's realizing that our sins are what put Jesus on the cross. And that we run to him every day for his mercy It's coming clean with him. It's confessing. It's being in right relationship again with God saying, you know, God, I want to mourn for my sin. I don't want to receive the condemnation of the enemy, but I want to receive the cleansing of Jesus. Because there's nothing better when you feel free inside. And the enemy comes with condemnation and and guilt. And you will never feel clean. You will always always feel that element of "I'm, I'm, I'm never quite doing enough. Jesus did it all. And so we run to him, we fall at, uh, on his mercy, and we realize that we have to have him, and we want to mourn over our sins, but then run to him for his cleansing. Then we talked about meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We talked about these two last week. And uh, just kind of how the world has described meekness as weak or wimpy. It's not that. Jesus was the very picture of meekness. He was not weak at all. He did operate in a different spirit. And in a part of ushering in the kingdom of God, he is showing us how to inherit the earth. The promise of if you will be meek, you will inherit the earth. And what is he talking about? He is talking about making a difference, making an impact, having an influence. Because Jesus walked in meekness. And you look through the Gospels. He could go into very dark places and make an impact. Broken people were just drawn to him like a magnet. It's because the spirit in which he operated in, he operated in great meekness. As Philippians 2 tells us, that we have the same attitude as Christ. That he was equal to God. Yet he didn't just throw that around. He came and just loved people. And he ministered to people. And the lost and the broken, they were drawn to him. And he could go into their into their settings, into their parties, and he was the one that controlled the atmosphere. They didn't control him. And so he was, in, he, he was, he was bringing in the kingdom, and he was making an impact and, 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 and having an influence for the kingdom's sake, and he's called us to do the same. And so if we want to make a great impact, and I think we all do as believers, we want to make an impact. We want to live for something bigger than ourselves. We want to, to walk in the destiny and promises of God. But he says the way you do that is you you walk in great meekness. And it's actually also how we rule and reign and how he ruled and reigned. And and it means this, meekness. And we have to get these. Again, before we move forward in this, we have to understand our relationship with God and his spirit in us to cause us to be meek. But meekness means strength under control, courage and boldness with humility, passion without pride. So a lot of times we can be very passionate, but we can be very prideful. And that prideful spirit is what causes people to stumble in our world as they see the church walking in arrogance. And you just didn't see Jesus walking in that. But we can have passion without pride. It's desiring to be seen of God rather than men. 
living for inward transformation rather than outward manifestation. Not that he can't do outward manifestation. He does that. But we live for his inward transformation because that is what he desires for each person is that he transform them from the inside out. A meek person is teachable. They are under authority. And they walk in great peace. And again, I love Jesus in the storm. He's taking a nap in the boat. He walked in great peace. He was not frantic in situations that we would, you know, think you should be frantic. And I'm not saying we don't have frantic moments. I've had them. I've had plenty. But it's finding his peace in the midst of the storm. And then we talked about being spiritually hungry and thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You want to be filled? Hunger and thirst for him. It's tied to, uh, hungry and thirsty are tied to being poor in spirit. It's really realizing that without Jesus in my life, I'm spiritually dying of thirst and I'm starving to death. I have to have him every day. And I encourage you that you ask the Lord, say, Lord, I want to be spiritually hungry and thirsty for you. Develop in me a hunger for, for your presence, for your word to know more about you. He will give you that hunger and thirst. Because there is a, a great it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing to, you know, when, you, when you've been used to spending time with the Lord and then, you know, you go a day or two without it and you feel a little bit lost and empty and, and like something's missing, that's a good thing. And God does that because he wants us to depend on him, hung, hungering and thirsting ultimately for him. So again, that's kind of a setup. And so today where we're going is, is uh, Matthew 5, 7, and actually 13 verses, uh, th- verses 13 and 16, because they go, I think, hand in hand uh, as we look at this sermon. Matthew 5, 7, you can turn there, and, uh, and I'm going to be talking about what it means to be merciful. I'm excited about this because we're going to also be looking at opportunities of ways that we as a church body can be plugged into the mission of Jesus, the things that are on his heart. We're going to be looking at those a little later. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. I'll look at verses 13 through 16 in a few moments. But as was said earlier, we were created to be a functioning part of the body of Jesus Christ as the church. That parable that Doug read is, is a sobering, of, it's a strong word, but it's an invitation from Jesus. And he's talking about the banqueting, and he's revealing again the kingdom of God, and he's saying, I, I've, I've invited those, 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 there were people invited to the banqueting table. They've been chosen. Now, you can look historically, and, uh, and, and, and you, can see, you can see a parallel here between where, where he had called the Jews to salvation, because, you know, for the, for the Jew first, Jesus was a Jew. He ministered to the Jews first, and then the Gentiles and so there is a parallel here where he is speaking that, some, that, that, that the, the, the Jews didn't follow him in, in, in large part. Some did, some did not. Some rejected him. But I think that this parable also, it spans the time and distance and space and what we can receive is about his revelation of the kingdom that he said, you know, there was a banquet prepared. And I think it, I think it can speak to us who have been Christians for a long time or we've gotten just so used to being Christians that we forgot about the excitement and the love in which he created us and in which he died for us. And you hear that, that, that passion from Jesus saying, Go to those ones that were invited, and immediately you hear these, you know, well, I've got this to do, and, you know, I've got, I just bought these oxen, I've got this, I've got that, and they begin to make excuses of why they can't come to the banqueting feast. And what has happened, I believe, and this is what Jesus said to the church in, in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3, is, is you've, forgotten, you've forgotten love. You forgot why I came. You, you, you used to be so excited. You used to be so in love with me that you would do anything for me. And then you just got kind of used to it. And you kind of just kind of are going through the motions. And this is what we do. And this is what a church person does. They, they go to church and they do this and they do this. And they just try to act nice to people. And, and it's so much more than that. Jesus did not create us that way. He created us to be impacted by his love. And then to give that love away. 
And then he says this, you know, go out, go out into the street corners and begin to invite people, the, the, the lame, the broken, the poor, invite them to come to the, 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 the banqueting table. Go out there and get them. And they went and they said, we have room for more. Go out to the highways and the byways. Go out there because you're created to take love out there. Not just sit in here and say, well, I've got this excuse and that excuse of why I can't do this. Or I, and Jesus says, no, remember love. That's why in this passage where he's saying, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be given mercy, is when we remember the great mercy that Jesus gives us through his death on the cross. But we were created to be a functioning part of the body of Christ, a part of his mission, a, being his followers. You've heard these passages before. 1 Corinthians 12 says you're all a part of the body of Christ if you're a believer. In other words, there's no, there's no parts of the body that are just uh, you know, random that we can do without those. You know, that you're a thumb in the body of Christ. Ah, we don't really need you. Or you're just a thumb that's just sitting there and you, you function once a week when you come to church. We weren't created to do that. This isn't really the definition of church. We come to a gathering place to be equipped, but then to go be his hands and his feet, his body out there. The church is us. We were created to be a functioning part I've said this before, but when you when you have been lamed, lame in some way, you've hurt your foot, you've hurt your leg, you you know I've broken this wrist four times in my life. Yes, I was very accident prone as a child. My mom and dad were just you know I was you know regular trips to the emergency room. Thank God I grew out of that. But it's it's amazing when you're in a cast for six weeks, just what what you cannot do. And you take that for granted. You guys have been there. If you've hurt yourself, pulled a muscle, you know, some people have had some really bad injuries. And you're, you're just, it, it's hard. And you, rem, and, you, and you think, well, beforehand when you're just kind of thinking about it, well, if, you know, if, I, if I'm in a cast, I could just get around. Well, when, and when you're in a cast, it's different because you are limited. And you, re, you don't realize it until it happens. And it's when, when you are a part of the body of Christ and you, maybe you're an arm and you just say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to function. I'm just going to kind of just come to church once a week. It's, it's kind of an arm that doesn't do anything and the rest of the body needs you. We were called to be a part of his mission. We're called to reach out. Last week I talked about the woman at the well is, is where we find Jesus. We find him calling to these people. We find him calling to Zacchaeus. Because if we're Christ followers, which that's what it means to be a Christian, Christ followers, that means he's leading, he's going somewhere, and we must follow him. But where is he going to take us? If you're a Christ follower, he is not going to lead you. You're not going to follow him to come to church once a week, and, just, and that's the only involvement that you have. He just, that, that's not what he called to do. If you're following him, he's going to lead you around. And you're going to go to the highways and the byways. You're going to go to the broken. You're going to go to the poor. You're going to go to the hurting. And so we lead up to this place of what it means to be merciful. You know, it's the follow-up of the other Beatitudes that we're getting things right with God. And then he, we understand what he did for us. That we're poor in spirit, we're repentant, we're meek, we're hungry and thirsty for him. We realize we need him, but then we remember the cross. We remember his mercy. That's why he said, now I've given you mercy. Now show mercy. Be merciful and you will receive mercy. We should, every day as believers, stand in awe of the cross we should gaze at the cross every day and say, Jesus, thank you for your great mercy. Because that was a demonstration of his love for us. What he did for us. Then when we remember, it helps us not to make excuses of why we can't follow him. And it's just like, you know, I've got these five oxen, I've got this. We remember his great mercy. And then we have to have a response So what does it mean to be merciful? Put a definition up there. It's extending compassion. Extending compassion. Serving without expecting anything in return. 
Love in action, in word and in deed. It's a good definition. Extending compassion to others. Serving without expecting anything in return. Do you hear Jesus in there? Remember what he said about when they were arguing about grace. He said, I am among you as one who serves. It's a different kingdom. Love and action and word and deed. That's why Jesus later on, when he says, when you, when you do something for someone, you know, your father sees what you do. But here's the motivation, and this ties into what Patty said. The, the, the motivation is love. The motivation is always love. Being merciful, it should be, and serving and extending compassion should be a byproduct of the love that we have in Christ. He loved us so greatly that we can't help but give that love away. We're so overwhelmed by his mercy, by his kindness, by his compassion, because he reached to us. This is a description of what he did to us. He extended compassion. He served us without expecting anything in return except our lives, that we didn't have to die our own death. And he loved us. And, he, and, and, and then and the byproduct of that saying, I love you so much, Jesus, that I can't help but be merciful to others in word and deed. See, Jesus didn't just tell us that he loved us. He demonstrated that his, he loved us. Because if we do it out of any other motivation but love, it becomes spiritual duty. It becomes a, a guilt offering of, well, I have to do this. Well, I want to feel a little bit better about myself. Well, you know, I want to earn God's favor. I want to earn his love. We can't do anything to earn it. And so it should be just as an outflow of our love for him that we are giving his mercy to others. That's why the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love and our motivation must be love. That's what Paul said. You can speak in tongues. You can do miracles. You can have prophecy. You can do all these things. You can have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, it really profits you nothing. All of that other stuff. What is your motivation? Our motivation must be love and at a byproduct of love, we are giving mercy away. I love this story that Jesus tells from Luke chapter 10. We're all familiar with it, but it's called the Good Samaritan. I want to read it to you. If I can find my starting point here. Verse 25 of Luke 10. On the occasion, expert in the law um, of the religious law stood up to test Jesus. And he had these encounters a lot where the Pharisees, teachers of religious law, you know, they, they, they memorized all the law and they would come to him to test him. And this guy stands up and in the midst, he, teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, he's asking a big question. It's a question that a lot of people, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you have eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And then he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Aren't we all guilty of that from time to time? So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know, okay, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus just drops a bomb on this guy. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and then went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan because Samaritans were despised. Do you see 
what Jesus was doing? I mean, this is, this is a very intense passage just even based on the culture of the day. Here's a man who's been beaten half dead. He's laying there. And here's church people. What is the response of the church? That's what Jesus is saying. A priest sees him, walks to the other side of the road. Church people. And they ignore him. Priest, then a Levite. So Jesus, just, just to make sure you were understanding that I am talking about church people. A priest and then a Levite. Pass the guy up. And then here comes this lowly Samaritan and, and bandages this guy's wounds, takes him, invests in him, because when you show mercy, it's going to cost you. Your time, your resources, this guy takes him, puts him, takes him to an inn. He pays for his medical expenses. says, I'll be back, and if there's any other charges, I'll pay that too, and I will take care of him. And Jesus said, who was the neighbor? It wasn't the people who thought they were religious It wasn't just church people. It was the guy that actually did something about it out of mercy. And then Jesus, in Matthew 25, I won't read this, but you're familiar with it. It says that the Son of Man will come in all of his glory at the end of the age, and he will separate people like sheep and goats. And on his right there will be the sheep. And he said, come into uh, the the kingdom that my father has prepared for you because, listen to this, he begins to give a list. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And he just gives this list. And then the sheep say this. They said, Lord, when did we ever see this? You notice that they don't have a religious response to it. They didn't say, yeah, you're right, I did. I'm glad you remember that, of what I did for you. They said, when did we see you? When did, when did that happen? And the Lord says, I tell you the truth, when you were doing it to the least of these, when you were pouring out mercy out of your place of love, you were doing it unto me. Because what you were doing is you were doing it out of love, and the reason why we know they did it out of love is because they didn't say to Jesus, look at what we did for you. It wasn't out of spiritual duty. It wasn't out of feeling guilty. It wasn't about trying to earn God's favor. It was about we, were, we, we understood God's love so much that we gave it to other people, and Jesus said, then you got me. You got me in the process because I was among them. The promise, the exchange is we get him. You, you've done it unto me. We get his mercy. You know, the happiest people that I know are ones that love in action. They're the ones that extend compassion. They're the ones that don't think of themselves. And they're the ones that serve. You meet people like that, and they are very, very happy people. If they're doing it for the right reasons, if they're doing it out of love, if they're doing it out of guilt, they're pretty miserable. But happy people are ones that are serving, giving of themselves out of the place of love. And so Jesus, in the sermon, he gives this passage of, you know, blessed are those who are merciful. Then look at Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And this is, this is tied together, and this is why I'm giving it in context with this, because he says this, let your light shine. Let your light shine. You are the light of the earth, the light of the world. I'm going to read this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Be salt. Be light. We were created to make an impact. We were created to make a difference. We were created to influence culture, to rule and reign with meekness, to give mercy where we have been given mercy. And notice that he says, be the light of the world. Jesus did not say, go around and curse the darkness. The church has been guilty of that. We see darkness and we curse it and we say, look at how awful that darkness is. Jesus did not ever tell us to do that. He said, be light in the darkness. That's what he did. Again, that's why the Pharisees, that's why the religious spirit, he came in a different spirit and the religious just did not like it because he came in complete different opposite spirit. 
He's at Matthew's party where they're drinking and there, there is a lot of ungodly behavior going on in this party. And that's why the religious go, I can't believe your teacher's hanging out with all those people. What is he, what is he doing? And you notice what Jesus did not do. He didn't go in there and say, I'd like to say something before this party starts. I want to curse the darkness before we begin. All the drinking, this is not good. This behavior has to stop. Repent or die. He just went in there and he was light. They were drawn to him and he changed their lives. The woman at the well, he did not give her 10 points why adultery and fornication are all wrong. Here's why you don't need to be doing that. He saw her thirst. He said, I am the one that will give you living water, but you'll never be thirsty again. He changed her life because he was light in her darkness. Different spirit. We must stop cursing the darkness and be light. And so we're called to be a part. As believers, we were not created to sit on the sidelines, to just do church, but to be church. We were called to seek with Jesus. We were called to follow him, to serve with him, to love with him. Because when you follow him and you do that stuff, people will see Christ in you. They will see his light in and through you. And I've always, not always, frequently I think about what legacy I'm going to leave. Because you're all going to leave a legacy. For good or for bad, we will leave a legacy. We're going to be remembered for something. We're going to leave a legacy. And you might ask, well, does my contribution matter? Absolutely. Absolutely. Your contribution matters. In a second, I'm going to show you a video clip. Taylor's going to cue that up. And I want to, I, I'm going to explain it in just a moment, but I, it is so, it, it, the, the principle is so powerful. But your contribution matters. We aren't each individually called to do everything. That's why we're a body. That's why we're the body of Christ. The thumb cannot do what the foot does. The ear cannot do what the knee does. We're all a part of the body of Christ, and we have a functioning role. We should have a functioning role and be faithful to the vision and the mission in which God has been speaking over our church, over our part, or of what is our part in the body of Christ. And we will leave a legacy. We'll be known for something. And God forbid, I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and, and, and go, I wasn't known for, for much except for just kind of thinking about myself all the time. I want to run the race with faithfulness to the Lord. This video is one that uh, Patrick and Sandy g gave me. Uh, it was a part of the, uh, the kind of the national Awana presentation. It is an Awana video, but I want you to see beyond just it being about Awana. But it's a, it's a skit that was done about a younger man talking to an older man and the impact that that older man had on this younger man's life. I want you to catch it because it, it, it goes beyond just Awana. Awana is a powerful ministry um, and, and it's so important and it's so key to what we're doing here. But it's, it, it reaches beyond to all ministry and what God will call you to do. And I want you to think about what kind of a legacy you want to live and you want to leave. And I want to I watch this video clip here. It's about six minutes, so stay with it. So how long has it been since you've been back here? Well, my Uncle Mike had hair the last time I was in town. <laughs> I don't know. It's been at least 10 years. It's been great seeing you again. Thanks a lot for setting up this time for us to go over the old times. Thank you, Mr. Joe, for getting up so early. Sorry this was the only free time I had before my cousins come in for the reunion. But I wanted to make sure that I saw you because I wanted to give you something before I left town. What's this? 
embarrassing photos of me? <laughs> well, Mr. Joe, you do remember the three-legged race you ran with Mr. Lester, don't oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of good times at Awana, didn't we? Oh, we sure did. Anyway, my church is presenting a series on the importance of leaving a spiritual legacy. And it got me thinking about the first time I heard about the gospel at my first night at Awana Club. You still remember your first night at Awana? I sure do. Wow. And I remember that it almost didn't happen. Really? What do you mean? I mean, I didn't know anything about Awana. I'd never even stepped in a church before. And I only went that night because Tim said I could ride in his dad's station wagon with the cool rear-facing seat. Oh, that old thing. Well, I had to drive that vehicle. It's the only vehicle I had that I could put one more kid in. But I've been thinking a lot about that night lately. You remember, I, I didn't come from a Christian home, and, and the only thing I ever knew about God or Jesus was what my dad screamed at my mom. Yeah, that was really tough for you. You know, but I still remember the first game I played at club. You know, the one where you run around the game circle with the, uh, with the broom handles? Oh yeah, that one's actually more fun to watch than to play, by the way. <laughs> oh. And I remember the first large group message I ever heard. Remember Pastor Jenkins told us about how he got pulled over oh, speeding because yeah. he was late <laughs> to the wedding? Yeah, a cop had to drive him to the church because his license plate had expired. Yes. <laughs> oh, but that was God. the first time I ever heard what God's plan of salvation was all about. Before then, I thought good people went to heaven and bad people went to hell. I figured I wasn't that bad. Now that you mention it, I do remember your first night at Club Mart. We talked afterwards. Some kids got it, some didn't, but you, I don't think I ever met a brand new clubber who understood his, his need for his savior as quickly as you did. Because of you, Joe, that night changed my life. Why would you say that? How do you mean? I mean, the time you spent with me in club before mom and I moved away really showed me that God loved me and had a plan for me. I don't know what my life would have been like if if you hadn't made room for me in the back of that rusty old station wagon. Wow. I guess I never thought of it like that before. Anyway, I, I just wanted to say thanks. What's the matter, Joe? You know, Mark, something hit me when you said you didn't want to go to club that night. What do you mean? Well, to tell you the truth, I didn't want to go to Awana that night either. That was the day I got fired. My boss had told this lady that she needed a complete engine overhaul. I told her it wasn't really necessary. Needless to say, he was really upset. He cursed at me. He fired me on the spot. With, with my wife being sick and Tim and braces. I just didn't know what to do. Wow. I never knew that. So why didn't you just stay home that night? I couldn't. The Anderson kids down the street, they needed to, me to drive them. I drove them every week to Owana. They needed me. Uh, Tim told me that you said that you'd go if someone would pick you up. So, we had to make room for one more. I just had to go. I don't know what to say. I don't know if I could have gone to club if I had just lost my job. Well, I always felt that I got more out of Awana than I gave to it. Sharing Christ with you boys really got to focus off my circumstances and showed me what was really important. And having the privilege to lead you to Christ that night really put things in perspective for me. Well, Mr. Joe, you have certainly helped a lot of us clubbers over the years make decisions that have impacted our eternity. I appreciate the kind words, but look at you. God is using you to lead me to want a program in your own church. Well, being a commander isn't as easy as it looks. 
And you see, Joe, whether you realize it or not, your influence has rippled out farther than you will ever know. Anyway, I need to get to Uncle Mike's for the reunion. I just wanted to uh, make sure that while I was here, I gave you this. Because you made room for me, this is part of your legacy. Isn't that cool? Leaving a legacy, <clears throat> making a difference. You know, even the small things that we think might be insignificant. We can get these lights on too. Yeah, thanks. The ripple effect of a legacy is so powerful. And again, we're not called to do everything. We're just called to be, to play our part. I want to talk about just for the next few minutes, some opportunities for ministry that I feel like that the Lord is speaking over our church body. These are invitations to you to be a part of something awesome that I believe that God is doing on the earth. You know that there's, there's things that happen on the earth and, and, and we see the, the, the different opportunities that we have globally and locally. And a lot of those are... are, are we look at them, and again, we can just go, how awful that is, or, you know, man, that's just so overwhelming. But God is speaking to the church and saying, what will your response be? Because he's placed the church in this time in history also. And so there's going to be some opportunities for ministry, and we're going to be launching some teams today. We've been talking about this for a long time. You've heard me talk about this over and over about being a part of the body of Christ. And, 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 but now I want to take a step further and say that, that I want to give you an opportunity to be involved in something, to be plugged in. And there's, there's some people that are, again, Awana is huge and important, Sunday school, youth ministry, worship team. There's a lot of ministry that's already happening. But we want to look at things for some, some serving and some laying down our life type ministries to reach out to other people and to give us an opportunity locally and globally to spread the mission and vision of Jesus. And I want to encourage you, there's something here for everyone. Young and old, single, families, you may be called to more than one or just one. But my heart for you is to get plugged in and let's make a difference together for the kingdom. Let's be about his business until he returns. And to say, God, what do you want us to do? What is our part? What is our contribution to what is going on in the world? First thing I want to look at is, uh, is orphan ministry. We're going to start an orphan ministry team. Right now, there are over 153 million orphans worldwide. I heard, we heard a stat the other night that there... 5,760 orphans uh, per day, new orphans per day. Staggering. And it can be overwhelming, but then we have to ask this question, God, what is your purpose for us in this ministry? Because all throughout Scripture, we hear God's heart for the orphan. James says this, pure and faultless religion in the sight of God is to care for orphans and widows in their time of need and to purify ourselves from the world. Not to separate ourselves from the world, but not be influenced by the world. But pure and faultless religion in the sight of God is to care for orphans. Look at Scripture. He is, his heart is toward the orphan. And so we're going to start an orphan ministry team. And these teams, I think, are going to begin kind of organically. And we're going to see what God would have for us. And it, it could be that we are going to raise money for these, type, these ministries out there. It could be that we are going to serve in some way out there. But we're going to raise up teams from our church body and give opportunity for, for people to be involved. It can be overwhelming. But the question we ask is, what is our part? Jesus loves children. Let the children come to me. 
So there's great opportunities for this. Um, some of you guys, most of you guys know we're, we're involved in, in, in an adoption. We're not saying that everybody's called to adopt. We're not saying that at all. But uh, this is just kind of a need that is, is immediate that uh, we, through this process we hear um, things. And, and the orphanage where we have a child, by the way, um, if you guys didn't know, we have a child that has been re referred to us. It's a little boy. He's going to be two years old in August. We're most likely going to get him around October, it looks like. So we're thankful to God that, he, that, that, uh, that God is putting all this together, and we're so grateful to him uh, for putting this on our hearts, and uh, we're so excited. But his orphanage right now needs formula. And you just think that, you know, we have access to all this stuff just at our fingertips. But there's a specific type of formula that they, uh, that they have to get there. So part of our, the money that we had set aside for the priority fund, we're going to begin, we're going to purchase some formula for orphans at that orphanage. It's a large orphanage, lots of children in there. Um, if you would like to be a part, I'm just giving you an opportunity right now, but $35 pays for a two-pound canister of this formula for babies at that orphanage. And again, the needs are great. I mean, we could go, I mean, Africa, all over the place. There's orphans everywhere, but this is just an immediate need, and we're going to begin to put some of the money. If you'd like to give to that, I'm just throwing it out there because we want to help this orphanage in whatever way we can. But God's going to give, I think God has already spoken to some of your hearts. Some of you guys have a passion for orphans. And maybe it's been just lying dormant, and you know, I don't really know what to do with this. Well, we're going to begin to ask God what he wants us to do with it. So we're going to have an orphan ministry team from this church. Number two, human trafficking ministry. I believe these are, um, Rick Warren calls them signature ministries that, that you know, we see that all these, all these problems that are out there. But again, it's not just to say, wow, what a problem. It's to say, God, what, is, what do you want us to do? What's our part? Human trafficking is an awful epidemic in our world. There are around 27 million people caught in human trafficking worldwide. 27 million. This includes children as young as four and five years old up to adult age. And this is an epidemic, like I said, and I believe it grieves the heart of God. He is close to the broken and the hurting. And the church has to have a response to this. And then these, there are great ministries that are reaching to orphans and, and human trafficking and all that. And it might be that we, we do not try to reinvent the wheel, but we might get involved in other ministries and reach out in that way to help. But we want to mobilize a team here to reach into this area and partner with those ministries to pray that this will stop in our day. Third is that we're going to have a life team. to see abortion end in our day, to partner with ministries like Hope Pregnancy Center in Wilmer who are reaching out and, and, and touching families and giving these, uh, these girls and these families that, that they have these unplanned pregnancies and giving them a place of hope, giving them a place to help them. And this is one of those ministries that we're not just to call, called to curse the dark of how awful it is but to be a part of what God's doing on the earth and to help people and to reach out to people. And so we're going to have a life team to reach into this, this, um, this realm of ministry, I believe, that is close to the heart of God. Fourth thing is that we're going to have a disaster ministry team. Not creating disasters. But I was thinking about this and on my heart um, uh, when Ed took his family to eight days of hope and, and uh, disasters continue to happen in our world at alarming rate. And again, we can just go, how awful. What is our response to be? And it could be short-term mission trip. It could be given to ministry. Um, right now, we, we give a, a, you know, a part of the priority fund is $500 to Samaritan's Purse and they reach into these areas that have natural disasters. But I was, in preparation of this sermon, I went on, on FEMA's website. It's interesting um, to look at stats. Natural disasters are increasing at alarming rate. 99 declared major disasters in 2011. This is last year. This is FEMA's website. This is the number one. that It broke all the records since they started making official declarations in 1953. 
There's never been a year like there was last year, 99 declared disasters. Matthew 24, Jesus tells us that these things are going to happen. They're going to get closer and closer together. There's going to be major things that are happening. And again, not that we just camp down, you know, and hunker down and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. There's a part of why he allows the shakings is because he loves people and he wants them to respond to him. And what an opportunity the church has to do is to shine the light of Jesus in these times of hopelessness to show people that God loves them and he's real and we serve in these areas. So we ask in all of these, what's the church's response? Number five is we're going to have a kindness and serve team. Random acts of kindness, serving our community. This is going to be more where we think locally. To spread the light of Jesus in our region. We've done summer serve in the last few years. And this is finding out needs in our community. Fun serving and kindness events just, just because, just in the name of Jesus. I love the passage where it says the kindness of God leads people to repentance. And that you've heard me say this, but you know they don't care what we know until they know that we care. Then they'll want to know what we know. What do you have in you? And this is creative ways to send people out. John Bevere shared this story about a group of people in, in their church, and they found a need that their local fire department, uh, they were having these, you know, making these special helmets, but they were very expensive, and taxpayer dollars were not going to pay for them. So the church raised money for that cause and bought them. I don't, can't remember how many of those helmets and gave them as a gift to the fire department. Well, guess what? They had several firemen start coming to church. What are you crazy people doing? Why would you ever do this? And it's just being intentional to say what needs are out there and what is our purpose and what is our contribution? What is God saying to us? And just maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know if I have the energy to do all that other stuff. I don't know if I uh, can, can, can go out there and, and be a part. Well, we got a team for you too. And the sixth one is this, I'm calling it an E-team, just because that sounds cool. It's an encouragement team. I love this passage from, from, from Romans 12. If your gift is to encourage, do you hear that? If your gift is to encourage. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, we have those spiritual gifts that, you know, we, we, we kind of like to ooh and ah over. But this is very spiritual. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it's to give, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. It's very powerful. And, and, and that's a call to the church to be an encouragement to people. To find those that need encouragement in the body of Christ, send them a note, send them a card, pray for them. Maybe you don't have the energy to do you know, the other things, to go out and about, you know what, we're going to set up a team, an encouragement team that you can sign up for, and we're going to give you names of people that need to be encouraged, that need to be prayed for, that you can regularly think about and, and, and encourage on a daily basis. And then the last team that we're going to set up is a prayer intercessory team. And these are going to be praying for these ministries above, praying for the orphans, praying for the lost, praying for the church, praying for those that are caught in human trafficking, to be intentional about praying for what God is doing on the earth. Again, maybe you, you don't have the energy to do the others, and we should all be praying, yes, but I want people that are intentionally praying about these ministries and praying for the church. So that we can maybe give you a list each week or each month, however we decide to do it, and have you praying and seeking the Lord and saying, pray for these and be intentional about it. But there's something for everyone. Eternal happiness, God's favor, his spiritual prosperity can be found in those that are merciful. That's why God says, blessed Happy are those who are merciful because then you will receive mercy. It's the great exchange when we realize what he's done for us. Out of love, we give that to someone else. What is he calling you to do? What is he speaking to you about? So in the back, we have some sign-ups for you on all those teams. We're going to leave those up for the next few weeks because my encouragement isn't just to say, well, I'm excited, I'm going to sign up for every team. 
unless God's speaking to you. Take some time to think about it, pray about it. Some of you, it's already been stirring on your heart. I've talked to some of you that some of these issues have been on your heart and you're stirring and you're like, what do we do about it? Well, we're going to begin to ask God what we're going to do about it. Because God, this stuff is happening on the earth, and God is saying, I've called my body, the church, I've called you to reach and, and to minister into these areas. So we want to love people. We want to be merciful. We want to extend mercy all over the place out of great love for him, out of receiving his love for us. Let's stand together. So take some time over the next few weeks. You, you know, if you already know today and you want to sign up, go for it. I encourage you. I don't want to say don't sign up for anything, but, but really be prayerful. Asking the Lord what he would have you to be a part of. We're going to launch these ministries from here, and I'm excited to see what God wants to do in and through us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy today. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Let us never forget the cross. Let us never forget what you did for us. And Lord, help us to remember that you did it out of intense love for us. And I pray, God, that out of the motivation of love, that our, in turn, we would reach out to the others. We would extend your mercy, that we would be merciful, that we would love others, that we would show kindness and compassion. God, that we would be, uh, Lord, less thinking about ourselves, taking the attitude of Christ and, and not promoting ourselves, not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of others before we think of ourselves. Lord, there's so many in this world that need you. And Lord, I give those stats, God, it's not to overwhelm us because, Lord, the, the need is great. And we don't want to just be motivated by need. We want to be motivated by you and what you're telling us to do. But, Lord, we want to be faithful. And we want to be the church. We don't want to just do church. We don't want to just come to church. We don't want to just be a person or persons that just once a week, that's our contribution. But, Lord, be contributing to the kingdom of God. We would run well and finish well in Jesus' name. We love you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed week.